Hello and welcome, friends, to a Pledge Drive edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, right here on your community radio station. We are WFMP LP Louisville Forward Radio, broadcasting out of the historic Hayburn Building at 106.5 FM. And maybe you're listening to our live stream at forwardradio.org. You can catch us anywhere in the world. We're also really asking our listeners to go to forwardradio.org right now to chip in during our Pledge Drive. This is your last opportunity during our uh, uh, annual pledge drive, our fourth birthday pledge drive here to uh, support sustainability now. And we really want to know that you're out there, that you're listening, that you care about this station, that you like commercial free radio that is not funded by anyone but the listeners. And if you support this kind of programming, you're going to not hear anywhere else on our dial. Uh, then we need you to go and step up right now to forwardradio.org. We have a goal of raising $5,000. And I know we've got a long way to go, but you all can help get us over the top and there's lots of great thank you gifts available for you to pick up on right now whether it's uh, some great forward radio uh, gear for you to wear or carry around town or uh, we've got some great items handmade items available limited time only from our friends at stitch uh, and it's just a great opportunity to support uh, refugees uh, who are new to louisville and uh, learning new trades and learning english as they make beautiful items that you can pick up on right now for very reasonable pledges at forwardradio.org. Uh, but with no further ado, I want to welcome into the virtual studio my guest for today. I'm so excited to have Kathy Kuhn joining us. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much. It's just great to be here. Yeah, Kathy is fairly new to her position as executive director of the Metropolitan Housing Coalition, an organization that I I respect so much and I am excited to learn even more about today. Uh, you st started just about six months ago, right, Kathy? I did, yes. Um, I'm new to the organization and I'm new to Louisville. Um, and so Welcome. folks made Folks may know Kathy Hinko, yes, who was our, our former leader for the last 15 years, who retired. It's just a tremendous advocate in the community. And so she retired, and I am just lucky enough to be able to follow in those incredible I footsteps. I know, right? Oh, wow. Big shoes to fill. Um, yeah, so you're new, to, you're new to Louisville and to the Metropolitan Housing Coalition, but you're certainly not new uh, to working with a houseless people and a houseless field. You've been working in it over for 20 years, right? Um, you were chief strategist. Strategy officer at Families in Transition uh, in New Hampshire, uh, as well as serving as director of the New Hampshire Coalition to End Homelessness. And uh, you have a PhD in urban studies and sociology. That's that's probably very helpful in the work you're doing now. And I also want to highlight, like me, you're a fellow Peace Corps volunteer, having served in environmental education in Panama, which is so cool. Uh, I was a volunteer in Paraguay, and my wife was an environmental education volunteer, and I was a crop extension volunteer. You were there in the late 90s, and I was there in the mid-aughts. Uh, but I think all Peace Corps volunteers share a lot of... Uh, problem solving skills in common right <laughs> for sure absolutely you know it's like one of those things that if you if you served in peace corps for two years well, you, you walk away feeling like you can do anything so. exactly exactly we tend yeah. to we tend to take up on these ridiculously large roles that we're probably biting off more than we can chew all the time <laughs> oh well uh I, there's an event coming up this week on april 8th uh where folks can learn more about about Kathy, and I'm going to share details of that a little later. But I want you to start off just talking about the Metropolitan Housing Coalition. What is it? 
Sure. Yeah. Um, so the Metropolitan Housing Coalition, um, you know, has been around in this community for um, over 30 years. So although I am new to the organization, the organization itself is definitely um, over that time, the organization we've been working to strengthen and unite and mobilize resources to provide fair and accessible and affordable housing for everyone in, in our community. So, you know, we're a coalition of over 300 individual and organizational members. So we have a, a broad array of member, member organizations, nonprofit housing developers and financial institutions and service providers and neighborhood and advocacy groups. And, you know, together we really form the united voice for safe, fair and affordable um, housing. So, you know, we engage in a lot of um, different activities. Um, one of our main activities is around research and policy analysis. Um, so we, we um, are the only organization that puts out an annual report, um, really tracking trends in, in, um, in housing issues um, in Louisville. Um, and then we've done a number of other, um, you know, reports and, and analyses um, really focus on, on um, different relevant uh, issues around housing in the, in the Louisville community. Um, and then, of course, we're around, we, we engage strongly in advocacy and education. You know, one of our primary missions is helping folks to understand how critical <laughs> affordable housing is to the health and well-being of every member of our, oh, yeah. of our community. Um, you know, not just with of those of the lowest incomes, but really of, for every single member of our, of our community. So we engage in all sorts of educational and advocacy um, activities, really trying to um, build support for more um, affordable housing, which is just so critically needed in the community. Can you, I, I know there's a lot of numbers, there's a lot of rep annual reports, uh, and I'm sure you're just coming to gr grapple with all of them right now, but it, in a nutshell, could you describe how uh, extreme the housing crisis is in Louisville? Yeah, um, I'll try. <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess, and before I even do that, let me just state that something that I think probably most of your listeners already know, which is that, you know, affordable housing is uh, so critical to the health and well-being of both adults and children. Um, you know, we know that families who can afford their own homes are, you know, not forced to, you know, quote unquote, quote, double up or, you know, mm. couch surf, which, mm. you know, means that they're often living with other people. They're living in overcrowded living situations. And folks who can afford their homes are, are less likely to face, you know, the mental health stressors that come with all of those financial burdens and, and frequent moves. And of course, we know that when people are in affordable housing, they are able to put more resources towards other things that yeah. people need, like, yeah. you know, health care and nutritious food and, um, you know, making sure that kids grow up in, in a household that's, you know, free of environmental hazards. So, you know, affordable housing is critical. Um, I fully believe that affordable housing is sort of the center of all of our health and well-being, um, at, both as individuals and as a community. But despite all of that, despite all of those, you know, well-known benefits, um, what we see in Louisville is that 46% of all renter households are cost burdened. So what that means is simply that they are paying too much of their income on rent. They're paying more than 30% of their income on rent, which is the sort of the level that's established as affordable. Um, and what that means is that that puts them at greater risk for housing instability and for uh, um, eviction. And is that um, just renters or homeowners too also cost burdened? 
homeowners are also cost burdened, um, but um, but renters are significantly, um, you know, cost burdened. Forty six percent, you know, of, of renters are, are paying more than they should um, on on rent on rent, which essentially and, means and, that about half of our renters in Louisville are in a situation where they basically don't have what we what we would define as affordable housing. If they're spending more than 30 percent of their household budget every month on rent, uh, and does that include utilities too, or is utilities another thing on top of it? No, it, it's a, it's including utilities okay. as well. Okay. But um, that's quite a burden. Yeah, it's quite a burden, and I will also say that that burden is not felt equally, right? right. So um, it's it's felt disproportionately by Black citizens in Louisville, who are far more likely to live in cost burden households than than whites are. So in Louisville, forty one percent of Black people are living in cost burden households, compared to just twenty four percent of white of white households. Um, so you know the the cost burden is 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 significant. But in addition to that, sort of the other side of the affordable <laughs> housing coin is just the lack of housing, the lack of affordable housing yeah. for those, particularly for those with the lowest income. Um, so there was a housing needs assessment that was done in Louisville back in 2019. And what that showed was that we lack um, about over 31,000 units of affordable housing for people with the with the lowest income. Um, and that really impacts, you know, that that creates an affordability gap for all families whose link whose income are, are you know lower than the area median and what it does it, it just severely limits housing choice we just don't have the units um you know to be able and you know the other thing i will say is that some people um i think a lot of people tend to think that um there's housing subsidy and that anybody who needs assistance with housing you know can get assistance but what we know is that you know there right now are over 7,000 people on the wait list um, at Louisville Metro Housing Authority for a Section 8 voucher. And there was a recent study by Zillow that showed that one in four people or households who are eligible for housing assistance are actually um, getting that. So, you know, we, we there's a severe lack of, of, of housing units. And what we find is that even people who get their voucher, once they get their voucher, which is a critical resource. It's just like, hallelujah, I got a housing subsidy, but they're unable to use it because they can't find <laughs> the actual housing units in the community to be able to use that, that, that subsidy. So, um, you know, so it, it's, it's, it's really, it's really a challenging um, situation right now. And, and as I said, you know, we are also a severely um, segregated um, city that yes. we have a long history of housing discrimination so that the large majority of black and African-American households are living on, you know, sort of the census tracts in the west side and in east of the airport. And um, the majority of white residents in Louisville are continue to reside on the eastern side. So, you know, the general situation is that, you know, we have large numbers of people who are cost burdened. We have a severe lack of affordable housing for those with the lowest incomes. And then, you know, our household continues to be highly racially and economically seg segregated in the city. Nice job putting it in a nutshell. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> so many issues here. But this is so important because I think when people hear the term affordable housing, if they're especially if they're in a privileged position or not having to worry about their housing because they're not as cost burdened. They tend to think of people in, you know, Section 8 or like people in really dire needs or the homeless, right? But mm -hmm. affordable housing, like you say, affects 
almost everybody. It can look like anything. It's affordable based on your income. And yeah. and our city does not have enough affordable units, even in a place that is seems relatively affordable to me as someone right. who moved here in 2009 from two different cities where the situation is even more extreme, Madison, Wisconsin, and Arlington, Virginia. Uh, talk about places where it's hard to find affordable housing. But e even in a place like Louisville that seems relatively affordable to hear that basically half of our renters are cost burdened and not in affordable housing really points yeah. out how, how, how much work we still have to do right here, right? Oh, absolutely. And and I will say that it, this is why it's so important that, you know, we engage the entire community um, around this issue because it right. really impacts every single sector. Um, I mean, I often hear from, um, you know, people who are business owners who, you know, maybe they own restaurants or, you know, own, own small businesses and they and they struggle because they they're they can't find employees who are able to live, um, you know, affordably uh, in, in the community close to their work. Um, and so this is an issue that, you know, it, yes, it impacts people with the lowest incomes, but it impacts the entire community. Um, and so, you know, this is why, again, that engagement, that broad sector engagement is just is just so, so important. Well, it, and it's funny because when we think about economic development in Louisville, what we hear from Metro government about, you know, is we need more jobs. We need more jobs and jobs and jobs and jobs. Well, jobs without housing is pretty meaningless, right? Uh, or, or other like amenities that young people want, these kinds of amenities in your city. Well, that's great. But if the young people don't have affordable housing, what have they got, right? No, it's absolutely true. And we see young people leaving, right? When that's the last thing that we want is our talent <laughs> leaving the city, right? And so we want our young people to stay in our city and be engaged in the community and, and, and you know, help to build the economy. And, you know, but but folks aren't able to do that if they don't have access to um, to affordable housing. So, yeah, it's just just so important on so many levels. Well, and as someone who's really concerned about sustainability and how these kinds of issues shape our city, the what what happens when we don't have affordable housing in our city is people move further and further away from downtown and start living way out in the suburbs uh, or in other counties where they where they can find what seems to them like affordable housing. But then there's that makes an extremely car based culture. There's no other way to get around but a car. And then everybody's got to rely on cars. And then that becomes a huge cost burden for them. This is the transportation issues, too. Right. So this really ends up shaping urban development. Right. Oh, yeah, in so many ways. And the other thing is to think about is, you know, in terms of sustainability, if we're thinking about the older housing stock, you know, that exists in in a lot of, of the city that are maybe very energy inefficient. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, unless we're investing in, you know, making those that housing more efficient, that these folks, you know, living in, in housing where their utility bills are just extremely burdensome. And so, you know, that's another issue when we're thinking about, you know, energy and security and energy efficiency. My guest today here on Sustainability Now is Dr. Kathy Kuhn. She is the fairly new, last six months anyway, uh, executive director of the Metropolitan Housing Coalition. If you want to play along at home and learn a little bit more about them or support the work, you can go to metropolitanhousing.org. And hey, while you're online, why don't you go to forwardradio.org and ship us a few bucks. It's our pledge drive here on Forward Radio and rely entirely on listener support to pay the bills here 
here at the station. It, it, this amazing resource happens because of volunteer power and your contributions. So please go to FordRadio.org, chip in during our pledge drive, pick up on some great thank you gifts, and help sustain us for a fifth year of broadcasting to the Louisville community at 106.5 FM and to the world through our online stream and our podcast at FordRadio.org. We really thank you for your support. Thanks to everybody who's donated so far. We need many more to go to FordRadio.org to get us towards our goal. Um, well, let's get back to uh, affordable housing issues and and just how you got connected to Metropolitan Housing Coalition uh, and, and your sort of history in this work, too. I want to learn a little bit more about you. <laughs> um, sure. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned at the top, um, I've been involved um, and really interested and passionate about affordable housing for over 20 years. Um, my passion started in graduate school um, where yeah, I did receive a sociology degree. And um, while I was in graduate school, after I came back from Hannah from the Peace Corps, I um, worked as a research assistant in a program called the Community and Development Economic Community Economic Development Program. And um, through that work, we became very engaged in um, sort of resident leadership programs in public housing communities. Um, and that's really where you know my interests sort of peaked in terms of um, thinking about affordable housing. So I did both my master's thesis and my um, dissertation um, on uh, public housing, quality of life in public housing, as well as um, the section eight, the section eight voucher program. Um, and then from there, um, I ended up moving out to um, New Hampshire, where I've lived for the past 15 years. Um, and as you mentioned, I worked with a very large um, homeless service provider um, and then also served in an advocacy role with the New Hampshire Coalition to End Homelessness. And so I, it was wonderful. My work in New Hampshire, I, I loved it. It was really, really great. But back sort of in the early summer of last year, my husband um, was recruited for a job here in New Albany, um, Indiana. And so it was interesting to think about moving during a pandemic yeah, and, yeah. and leaving everything that we wow. had built in New Hampshire. But it was also, you know, fun like to think about a new opportunity and to learn a new city, especially sure. Louisville. Um, and so we decided to, to do it and to make the move. And um, just at that time, um, while I was still in New Hampshire, I saw the ad come available for the Metropolitan Housing Coalition. And, you know, I saw it and I thought, wow, like this is just everything that I am interested in. It's research, it's education, it's advocacy, like it's perfect. Um, <laughs> and it really felt meant to be because, you know, again, Kathy Hinko, this tremendous leader in the community for the last 15 years, you know, what are the chances that she would be retiring right at the same time, you know, that I happen to be coming to the community. Wow. And so I, um, you know, I interviewed and I was lucky enough to, to get the position. And I've really just spent, you know, the last six months, um, you know, just learning, trying to get up to speed with all things housing. You know, there are some things that are universal when we're talking about housing, but Louisville also has many, you know, unique characteristics. Um, yeah. I'm learning the city, the city. Um, you know, one of the things that I have found so sort of joyful about, uh -huh. about Louisville is the neighborhoods, you yeah, know, like learning about all of these neighborhoods and they're all distinct. They have their own characteristics and, um, you know, their own history. And so it's just, it's, it's really been, um, it's, it's a little overwhelming, right? Because there's so many neighborhoods, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's awesome. And 
really, really um, interesting and special for me to be able to sort of dig in and, and really try and learn as, as much as I can. So, yeah, so I've just been the last six months, you know, it's been a little odd because it's the middle of a pandemic and I don't I can't meet people <laughs> in person. Um, but um, but people have been really, really welcoming. And I've met a lot of the folks on the ground and already, you know, collaborating in many different ways with so many um, other, you know, housing partners in, in the community. So um, so it's been exciting. Um, I have a great board and great staff. Um, and so I uh, feel really supported, you know, so far. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, oh, to good. really digging in more and um, continuing to make, you know, more of an impact. Oh, good. Well, we want to make you feel very welcome here at Louisville. And I hope you lay down some nice deep roots, just like I have done. Uh, yep. It's always funny when you're new to a place and people instantly start asking, well, how long are you going to stay? You know, <laughs> I'm like, I, yeah. I just got here. <laughs> it's felt like that for 12 years now. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> You know, Kathy Hinko did a great job of br uh, tackling the wide variety of issues that add up to our housing crisis. And I'm sure you're trying to drink from a fire hose with all of those issues right now. But give us a sense of some of the key issue areas that met the Metropolitan Housing Coalition is involved in right now, because it's it's there's no one silver bullet solution to this problem. Right. No, absolutely not. Um, and and there is, you know, there's a lot happening right now, too. This is actually a really unique moment for yeah. our, our country, our city and our country in yeah. terms of housing and potential investment in housing that could be coming down the pike. And so it's an exciting time to be involved. Um, finally, some investment at the federal level into affordable housing. It's really exciting for us to, to think about. So this is an exciting time to be involved and to get involved. But I will say that at the local level, that there is a lot happening. Um, I'll mention just a couple of things that we're um, really sort of focused on right now. The first is the land development code reform. Yes. Um, yes. So this is, I know it doesn't sound very exciting, um, <laughs> but um, but I honestly don't think that people realize how big of a role zoning plays in how our neighborhoods and our cities and our regions develop. So the land development code is basically essentially the, the book of zoning regulations, right? That really lays out how our communities um, can be can be developed, right? And what can go where. And Louisville, you know, zoning in Louisville, like in many other cities across the United States, has produced severe economic and racial segregation, yeah. um, you know, inequitable, inequitable neighborhood investment. And it's really made the development of affordable housing um, economically infeasible. So, you know, what we see in Louisville is that poverty continues to be concentrated on the West and, and North Central areas. Subsidized housing units are also con concentrated in West Louisville. And, you know, our um, industrial and manufacturing plants are also concentrated in areas, you know, adjacent to neighborhoods with yeah. high levels of poverty and high levels of, of people of color. Uh, uh, can I just say a little anecdote? <laughs> this, yeah. past, this past weekend, I went on a bike camping trip uh, down to Otter Creek, which is uh, just southwest of us here. And so I had the opportunity to bike down Campground Road by Rubbertown. I don't know if you've been yeah. over there yet, Kathy, mm -hmm. but it is the most depressing road in Louisville. I mean, yeah. I have been in all kinds of neighborhoods and places in Louisville, and I've been on Campground Road before too, but it is a great reminder of, wow, this is really a sacrifice zone. I mean, there's no question about it. It is so neglected and so unfair to the people who live right there. I mean, you're passing lots of homes. And of course, we see overrepresentation in those neighborhoods of all the marginalized populations, right? 
absolutely. Yeah, a thousand percent. And and here's the thing is that those patterns did not just happen by accident. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we have had exclusionary residential tactics, you know, rooted in our earliest zoning ordinances. So race, you know, historically was used as a mechanism for defining where people could live. And, you know, although race-based zoning was declared unconstitutional, you know, back in the early 1900s, but, you know, the zoning model that followed has created geographic zoning districts based on, you know, permitted uh, land uses, which ultimately has the exact same effect as race-based zoning ordinances. So what what we see now is that, um, you know, single-family zoning districts are given legal protections. that only allow for the construction of single family housing. Mm. And, and along with that are requirements that, you know, those lot sizes be yes. very, very large. And, you know, that has the <laughs> impact of increasing housing costs and excluding renters and low, lower income people from accessing those areas. Yeah. And so, you know, really the simple fact is that zoning restrictions have required, you know, that have required larger lot sizes and homogenous development in single family districts are an effective tool and have been used for and successfully used um, to cement racial and economic segregation um, in, in, in Louisville. Yeah. You put that Um, really well. Uh, So is there an appetite uh, on the city to reform these things? I mean, we going, the city has put forward this land development code reform process. Um, Is there going to be any change you think? Yeah, well, I hope so. (laughs) Um, So, you know, in August 20, 20, you know, to to Metro Council's credit, you know, this was in the wake of intensified calls for racial justice, um, you know, both in the city and the country. And um, the Metro Council adopted a resolution supporting a review of the land development code. And that was specifically focused on making recommendations for more equitable and inclusive um, development. And so, you know, since then, since August, um, the city, you know, they brought in some national organizations to help sort of analyze the existing code and and review national best practices that could potentially, you know, be brought into Louisville. Um, the planning staff hosted um, a series of listening sessions and workshops during the fall of 2020 um, to just kind of, you know, get the word out, provide information, solicit feedback from the from the community. And so right now where we are is um, that the first set of recommendations to the land development code are being proposed and discussed. So there are six recommendations right now that are being recommended right now. They're relatively minor from from my perspective as as someone who really cares deeply (laughs) about the production of affordable housing. These are not going to suddenly produce (laughs) a, a thousand units of affordable housing in our community. So from my perspective, they are relatively um, minor in terms of their impact on on land use. But I will say that there are already some calls to stop the process. So, you know, I'm encouraged that there are a lot of people who are in support of this. Um, A lot of people who recognize that we need to make change in the city, that our current zoning practices are just not sustainable. But at the same time, it's not easy. It, It isn't easy. You know, the land development code is very personal for people and rightly so, right? People care about what happens in their neighborhoods and, you know, where we live is one of the most important decisions that we can make. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I would argue that, you know, the zoning regulations that are in place are, are just not sustainable to keep up with our population and they prevent people from choosing where they want to live. And they simply reinforce, you know, racial and economic segregation. And the reality is that these codes 
you know, they haven't been changed in almost 60 years. Wow. So wow. the fact that we're talking about slowing down or stopping the process, I'm like, how much longer do we need to wait? You know, <laughs> we, we need to make change, uh, you know, now we're talking about people who are unable to use vouchers, you know, and, and access affordable housing now. You know, we don't need to be slowing down this process. We need to be making making change and really um, advancing, um, you know, affordable housing in the in in the community. So, and um, so we'll see. You know, it's a, it's it's going to be a long process. We're only in the initial stages. Yeah. Um, and but MHC is, um, you know, we're doing our part um, to um, educate the community, try to get folks involved, make sure that people understand how they can have their voices heard. We posted a number of public, you know, sessions, community learning sessions around it. Um, so I would encourage people that if you're interested in this issue, um, to please, you know, get in touch with me or um, or just follow Metropolitan Housing Coalition or go to our website or, you know, follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, um, and you'll be able to keep up with, you know, sort of the steps in this process. It's not it's not something that will happen overnight. We're only in the initial stages, so we're looking at a, you know, potentially a, a at least a. 12 to 18 month to potentially 24 month, um, you know, process going forward. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great recommendation. I was just going to say citizens have a voice in this process. So, uh, you can learn more at metropolitanhousing.org if you want to weigh in on the land development code reform, but we mentioned utilities earlier and, uh, that's a huge part of our cost burden. And right now our local utility LGNE wants to increase rates again in a yeah. way that is really unjust. And again, citizens have a voice in this process too. Tell us a little bit about the LGNE rate case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I will say that energy insecurity um, is something that I've um, gotten more um, involved in since I've um, moved to Louisville. And, and that is because MHC has a long history of being involved in these sorts of rate cases, um, which is great because historically there hasn't been a whole lot of people that have been looking out for the interests of low-income people when we're yeah. talking about these rate increases. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about energy insecurity, which is basically, you know, the when people either don't have any access to, um, you, you know, water or energy resources, or they have severely limited access to water and energy um, resources. And, you know, energy insecurity, of course, you know, it causes physical and mental health problems. It's associated with all, you know, respiratory illnesses and mental health challenges. And, and um, you know, they're just the fact of potentially the threat of being cut off from your utilities, right? right? You can imagine the stress and the strain that that would put on a, on a, on a family and, and, you know, children coming home from school and not having, you know, the lights to be able to turn on. So you can just imagine the, the stress that that places on kids and families. So just to like, kind of get a sense as to where things stand in terms of how people are managing, particularly right now in the pandemic with their utility bills, we've seen some data from LG&E that's showing that more than a hundred thousand more customers um, are eligible, were eligible um, for disconnection in 2020 um, than they were in, in 2019. And, you know, the data are showing that, you know, the number of households who are at least nine months or more in arrears um, is up 800 wow. percent um, from last year. And those who are over six months in arrears is up 400 percent over last over last year. Wow. Um, so, yes, as you mentioned, you know, there is a rate case and it's the third rate case in the last few years. And we really feel that timing <laughs> of this rate case probably couldn't have been worse mm. and frankly is really out of touch with the data, you know, that we're seeing and the reality of what people are experiencing, you know, as a result of the pandemic. Um, so I'll just say, mention two, 
two you know specific problems that that we are really looking at with the with the rate case um one is just its sheer magnitude right we we believe that you know the the magnitude of the increase will certainly put more people in jeopardy of losing their homes so mm-hmm. lg is proposing an average rate increase of over two hundred dollars a year which we know, right, for those who are on fixed incomes, for those who are suffering from the economic fallout, you know, associated with the pandemic, that really could mean the difference between maintaining their housing or becoming becoming homeless. Um, so just as a comparative, you know, if you look at the increase for people who receive SSI, in, t- in 2013, the average SSI payment was $710. We're looking at the average um, rate right now is $783. So an increase of just you know, $74 over the course of eight years, wow. um, you know, and so those are, the, you know, with such small increases, and we're talking about a $200 yearly, um, you know, increase in your utility bill, that's, you Good. know, unsustainable, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to maintain that. So we certainly argue that a rate increase of this size is, will lead to greater housing instability, um, you know, in, in, in Louisville. And then I, I also want to mention um, sort of a second problem with the proposed rate increase, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but I think it's important for people to recognize the approach um, in the rate design that lg is proposing. So for many years, lg has been slowly shifting a larger share of each person's monthly bill to a part of the bill that's basically a flat charge. So that essentially means that people's bills rise significantly no matter how little energy you it's use. crazy, yeah. Yeah, and we really feel that that you know, structure really unfairly harms low-income customers, people of color, you know, folks who live in smaller apartments, and, and others who just want to manage their bills using less energy. The other thing is that putting most of the rate increase on, a, on that flat per meter charge, what that means is that the neighborhoods with higher density apartments and houses are essentially subsidizing utility costs for providing, you know, service in suburban and wealthier and often whiter uh, neighborhoods, um, because those are the neighbors that have their neighborhoods that have fewer meters, you know, over a, a large area. So, you know, neighborhoods where housing is more dense have more meters. So, when a greater proportion of one's bill is, you know, the fixed meter fee. The people who are living in areas with high density housing, which often tend to be lower income, often tend to be racially segregated, you know, they are essentially subsidizing the expenses of those who right. are living in ge- more geographically dispersed, you know, areas with fewer meter- meters, which again tend to be higher income and tend to be whiter. And so, you know, with that sort of a lens, we feel like, you know, the economic and racial inequity associated with the fee structures is really, you know, pretty hard to to ignore. So. Again, I will just say, if you care about this issue, um, <laughs> um, please, you know, I, I, there is a, um, going to be a public hearing um, on April 26th with the Public Service Commission. Um, and so I would encourage folks to either submit written comments or you can come and, and speak um, at, the, at the meeting. It's at 9 a.m. Um, and if folks want more information about, um, about that meeting or about how they can, you know, submit uh, written comments or just get more involved and learn more, um, please, again, you know, reach out to me directly or follow us on, you know, social media or, or Facebook. 
And I'll just mention really quickly too, uh, this this structuring of the rate increases also has a big uh, impact on discouraging not only conservation, but renewable energy. So folks like me who have solar panels are getting hit even harder. So instead of paying for the amount of energy you use, you're paying more and more every year for the privilege of being tied to the grid. Imagine if it worked this way with another energy source most people rely on, gasoline. Imagine if you went right. to the gas station and instead of paying $3 a gallon, you had to pay 50 bucks just to go to the gas station. Right? And then it didn't matter really how much you, you consumed, a couple bucks a gallon, you know. Uh, we, we would all revolt and say, that's crazy. Well, lg is trying to cram the same thing down on us and it's up to citizens to uh, make their voices heard about this. You don't have to say, oh, I will never accept any increase in, in rates, but geez, if you're going to increase the rates, do it in a just way, do it in a way that doesn't discourage conservation, doesn't discourage renewable energy. So yes, yeah. I encourage our listeners to please get involved in that uh, rate case uh, as well. And I, I will just say, Justin, that um, for the first time, actually, we are collaborating with some of um, you know those environmental environmentally focused groups that are very much concerned with exactly what you just talked about. So folks like the Mountain Association, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, you know, others who and and we're actually collaborating on this rate case. And Good. and and it's yeah, it is great. It's it's an area where you know, our missions align, right? We care about the same thing and we can really support each other in this case. So it's been a, it's been a really great collaboration. My guest here on Sustainability Now is Dr. Kathy Kuhn, the new executive director of the Metropolitan Housing Coalition. You can learn more about their work at metropolitanhousing.org. And you're only hearing Dr. Kathy Kuhn because folks like you have stepped up to the plate and chipped in a few bucks to keep this radio station on the air. We are your grassroots progressive community radio station. You're not going to hear programming like this. Uh, an hour-long conversation with great folks like Kathy Kuhn. You're not going to get that anywhere else on the dial. So if you appreciate what you're hearing today. I need you to go to forwardradio.org and contribute to our pledge drive. It's only going through our birthday, which is April 9th. We're celebrating four years of broadcasting to the community on April 9th, and we we want you to give us a little birthday present. And in exchange, you can get a great thank you gift. There's all kinds of great gifts to pick up on only during the pledge drive. And you can pick up on a ticket for our talent show coming up on April 10th, too. So lots of opportunities at forwardradio.org. Well, but I, we're, near, we're already getting towards the last bit of our conversation conversation. And I definitely want to put in a little plug for the talk that you're going to be giving hosted by UofL and open to everybody. It's coming up on this week on April 8th, and it's a Thursday at 6 p.m. And it's entitled The Critical Connection Between Housing Security and Environmental Justice. It's hosted by the Department of Sociology, and folks can find the link to register to hear more from Kathy Kuhn at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Uh, obviously, you don't have to give us the whole talk, but just a little summary of what you're going to be talking about uh, coming up on Thursday at six? Sure. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. I'm honored to have the opportunity um, to to present um, as a part of the speaker series. Um, so the focus of the presentation is really on the connection between housing security and environmental justice. Um, and so, you know, as I've mentioned, as a person who's dedicated my life to the pursuit of, you know, safe, fair, and affordable housing for all citizens, you know, I believe that housing is the foundation to the overall health and well-being of individuals individual citizens and to communities, you know, as a whole. And I believe that housing justice is deeply connected to all other forms of social justice. Um, and that, you know, without access to safe and stable housing, 
you know, our economic, our social, our, uh, our financial, our physical, our mental health outcomes are, are severely um, jeopardized. So, um, so the presentation that I'm going to give, I'm going to, you know, kind of do a little bit about what we did today, talk a little bit about the landscape, um, you know, of, of affordable housing in Louisville. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to show a lot of data about what we see in terms of, um, you know, the location of housing, like we talked about, where is housing located um, in Louisville? We'll talk about the quality of housing mm. and how housing safety, um, you know, in Louisville is, um, you know, is really critically, um, you know, at a critical point right now. Yeah. We have many, many um, homes that are not safe and are not energy efficient, as as we talked about. So, and then I'm of course going to bring tie hope to tie all of that back to local advocacy, right, and to try to get people. Um, engaged and informed about some of the local advocacy um, that is happening right now, and that you know we we desperately need people to to get in, involved with um, and and share their voices and their thoughts and their ideas um, about how we want to see Louisville you know move forward. So um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, Me too. And, um, yeah, <laughs> folks will attend. Yeah. So if you want to be in dialogue, I'm sure there'll be a Q&A as well. So if you want to be in dialogue with Kathy Kuhn or uh, learn more about the links between these housing security issues and environmental justice, please join us on Thursday the 8th at 6 p.m. online. You can find the link to register at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Uh, well, I know that, and I mentioned it earlier, that the Metropolitan Housing Coalition releases an annual State of Metropolitan Housing Report, and it's due to be released very soon. So uh, can you give us just a quick preview of what the focus will be on this year's report? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm really, really excited about the release of this year's report. And just so folks know, we do that in connection with University of Louisville, some amazing, amazing resources, um, Lauren Haberlil and um, Kelly yeah. Kinahan at, at University of Louisville. And, you know, we're so thankful for their partnership. But this year's report is entitled COVID-19 and the struggle to stay safe at home in Louisville. And it's really focusing on housing stability and instability yeah. during COVID-19. And so it's really an in-depth look at, you know, what, what have folks been experiencing in COVID-19, but then also um, an in-depth look about, you know, the, all of the programs that have, you know, come into play, right? It's such a whirlwind that it's um, it's almost impossible to keep track mm. of all of the different, you know, funding sources and programs that are being developed. And the reason why I think this report is so important is because I think it's one of the first and most comprehensive efforts to really document what is happening, mm. you know, because and we're going to need that, you know, we're going to need that going forward. We want to be sure that we're documenting what's going on during this time. And we're going to be able to use that documentation as we go forward, as we, you know, we know that there's more funding coming in very soon from the American Rescue Plan Act. And so um, we want to be able to figure out what's worked and what hasn't worked in Louisville and sort of nationally and be able to learn from that to make sure that the programs that we are implementing are, you know, targeted to those who, who most need it and are, you know, as effective as they possibly can be in um, keeping people housed um, during this time. Yeah, well, I'm sure one thing that will be highlighted in that report, and I guess we'll end on this topic, is another big one that you're working on is eviction prevention. We've seen evictions going through the roof uh, in COVID times. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how MHC is working to try and prevent evictions? 
So we have been involved at the local level. It's been a really great collaboration. There's an eviction prevention task force with a number of organizations that are really focused on making sure that these programs are reaching those who need it most. There have been a lot of hiccups. You know, mm-hmm. people think that people aren't getting evicted right now because of the moratorium, and that's just simply not true. There are a lot of loopholes in the national moratorium, and so people are getting evicted. And what's critical is that we are making sure that folks know that these resources exist and that we're engaging the court system yeah. and so that, you know, we are able to partner with them so that they're not, you know, making judgments against people when and forcing people out of their homes when they could easily be prevented because we have resources available for, you know, abundance of resource available for the maybe the first time in, in so, so long <laughs> and at a time when it's, it's most needed. And so we are working, you know, it's, like I said, a wonderful collaboration with so many um, agencies here in Louisville who are working with people um, with low-income folks who are facing housing insecurity to make sure that we are engaging in practices that are going to um, keep people in their homes as best as we possibly can. And like I said, you know, with the additional funds that are coming in, it's really important that we're establishing these systems that work because you know, in all honesty, the system has not worked. Um, you know, historically, we have a very high rate of eviction in Louisville, higher than the state average and higher than the national average. So there's clearly a problem right here in Louisville. Um, and so this is an opportunity to use these resources that are coming in to, to fix the system. Yeah. Um, and so that's really the work that we are we're engaging in right now. Well, that's great and such important work in these times. Man, I really want to honor you for this work and support you in it and lift you up. This is a really vital time to be paying attention to the issue of our housing crisis. And and as you said, there's so many things going on right now with land development code reform or LG&E rate case that uh, the, the timing of our conversation couldn't, couldn't be better. So thank you for taking time out of your super busy day to join us here on Forward Radio. I'm so happy to be here, Justin. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, you bet. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, your community action calendar with a reminder of how you can be in dialogue with Dr. Kathy Kuhn on April 8th. So stay tuned, my friends. And while you're listening to a little bit of music here, why don't you go to FordRadio.org and chip in a few bucks to help keep us on the air. We'll be back in just a moment. While the sun shines bright on my whole Kentucky home Tis summer and the people are gay And the corn tops rise while the meadows are in bloom Them birds are making music all the day Said weep no more, my lady, oh song for my old Kentucky home, for my old Kentucky home far away. Now the young folks roll on that little cap and flow, all merry, all happy and bright. By and by hard times has come a-knocking at the door, my old Kentucky home good night. No more, my lady, oh. 
gonna phone my whole Kentucky home. Phone my whole Kentucky home far away. All right, my friends, it's that time. Yes, time to get your calendars out and your pencils sharp and get ready to take action for sustainability, but also... An important part of sustaining us here at Forward Radio is your listener contributions. And this is your last chance, my friends, to support this program, Sustainability Now, with me, Justin Mogg. If you love getting this show in your ears every week for four years running since April of 2017, over 200 shows now, I've put in lots of volunteer hours to, for this show and the station. And uh, the way to thank me for all that work is to go to FordRadio.org right now, click on the uh, Donate to Our Pledge Drive button right there at the top. Choose a thank you gift of your choice. We've got lots of great thank yous available only now through Friday, our fourth anniversary and the end of our pledge drive. We've raised, my friends, over $1,800, but we have a goal of 5000 So we're a little over a third of the way there, and we really want to thank the couple dozen backers who've already supported us, and we'd love to add you to the list. So now is the time to do it. Go to forwardradio.org and donate to our pledge drive. Whatever you can give, we've got great thank you gifts starting at the $15 level with WFMP buttons, uh, a new face mask, or maybe you want to pick up on that copy of Durable Trades. I interviewed the author, Rory Groves, a couple weeks ago on this program. Hope you heard that. It's a fantastic book about family-centered economies that have stood the test of time. A wonderful read available now at the $30 level. We also have WFMP t-shirts and long-sleeve shirts at the $30 and $35 level. There's a, a hoodie available at the $50 level and an incredibly great insulated bottle with forward radio on it at the $80 level, as well as a lot of great handmade items from our friends at Stitch, some other books available, and some ceramics. Really peruse the options or just Click back it if you want to give with no particular perk in mind. We'd love to have your support right now. Well, this week there's lots going on. On Wednesday, April 7th, from 3 to 5 p.m., there's going to be a power dialogue on climate solutions for Kentucky. UofL's Con Center for Renewable Energy Research is excited to host the Kentucky event as part of Solve Climate by 2030, a global dialogue on green recovery, climate solutions, and a just transition. On April 7th, university and high school students across the planet will tune into 100 same-day events in 50 countries. University-hosted regional webinars critical to their future. How an ambitious green recovery based in state and local action can put us on the way to solving climate change by 2030. Climate-concerned university and high school faculty worldwide and across disciplines will assign these webinars as homework, using them as a springboard for discussing regional climate solutions, energy justice, and a green recovery. Here in Kentucky, our panelists will include Rebecca Goodman, Secretary of the Kentucky Energy and Environment Cabinet, Steve Ricketts, co-owner and general manager of Solar Energy Solutions, David Huff, Director of Advanced Meter Initiatives at LGNE, and it'll be moderated by Jacek Jasinski and Joshua Spurgeon from the Con Center for Renewable Energy Research, uh, the, the Power Dialogue webinar will be from 3 to 4, and there'll be community discussion from 4 to 5. You're asked to register to join the webinar live and to have a link of the recording emailed to you. You can find the link to register at louisville.edu slash sustainability. And we really encourage 
all folks to join us for this power dialogue on climate solutions for Kentucky on Wednesday the 7th from 3 to 5 p.m. online. Find it at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Coming up on Thursday the 8th at 6 p.m., also online, it's going to be our guest from today's show. I can't wait for you to hear Dr. Kathy Kuhn speaking on the critical connection between housing security and environmental justice. The Department of Sociology's John H. Rieger Speaker Series will feature Dr. Kuhn on April 8th. She joined the Metropolitan Housing Coalition, as you learned, as its executive director in the fall. And she's been working in the homeless and housing field for over 20 years. She was the chief strategy officer at Families in Transition, a large homeless and housing provider in New Hampshire, as well as serving as the director of the New Hampshire Coalition to End Homelessness, a nonprofit dedicated to finding effective solutions to homelessness through research, education, and advocacy. She holds a PhD in sociology and urban studies from Michigan State and a master's degree in resource development. Both her master's thesis and dissertation were applied research projects aimed at enhancing de delivery and outreach outcomes of key federal housing programs. And of course, she's a returned Peace Corps volunteer from 97 to 99. Dr. Kuhn lived in Panama as a Peace Corps volunteer doing environmental education in primary schools. And she is currently an adjunct professor of sociology at UofL with experience teaching at numerous colleges and universities. Again, come on out uh, online at 6 p.m. on Thursday the 8th to hear about the critical connection between housing security and environmental justice. You can find the link to register at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Or if you prefer, also on Thursday the 8th at 6.30 p.m., another great virtual event is the Slave Dwelling Project. Throughout the 19th century, Farmington was a large and prosperous farm producing hemp and other crops often with enslaved labor. From the time Farmington was built in 1816 until John Speed's death in 1840, between 45 and 64 enslaved African Americans worked on the plantation. The average Kentucky slaveholder owned fewer than five slaves, but Farmington, with its large slave population, resembled the large plantations of the state's bluegrass region. After John Speed's death in 1840, change came to Farmington. When the estate was split among the speed children the slaves were divided as well sometimes families were separated in order to achieve equity for the speed heirs james speed was raised with emancipationist values but became an abolitionist he inherited slaves in 1840 but by the early 1850s, he was no longer a slave owner. Lucy Fry Speed emancipated Rose, Sally, and her son Herod in 1845. Some family members continued to own slaves until the end of the Civil War. This legacy will be part of a discussion taking place on Thursday the 8th at 6.30, led by Joe McGill, founder of the Slave Dwelling Project, in partnership with Farmington Historic Plantation, Historic Locust Grove, Oxmoor Farm, Foundation and Riverside, the Farnsley Mormon Landing. Descendants and representatives from each historic site will be panelists. This collaborative event will highlight the history of the enslaved at each historic site and how that history is relevant today in Louisville and beyond. Tickets to the discussion are $12, but all proceeds from this event will be used for future collaborative conversations within the historic home community in Louisville. You can get information and tickets at farmingtonhistoricplantation.org. Again, that's Thursday. 
Thursday the 8th at 6.30. You can get your tickets at farmingtonhistoricplantation.org. A free event coming up at UofL's Garden Commons on Friday, April 9th is a rain barrel making workshop. All are encouraged to join us in UofL's Organic Garden for a hands-on workshop in which you'll learn how to make your own rainwater catchment system from your downspout. Help us install a rain barrel on the tool shed at the Garden Commons location and learn more about water collection and sustainable irrigation methods. Face masks and physical distancing will be required to keep everyone Everyone's safe. The UofL Garden Commons is located at the southwest corner of Strickler Hall. That's just east of the Speed Art Museum parking garage, and you can find information at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Coming up this weekend, Saturday or Sunday, April 10th and 11th, it's Arbor Day Adopt a Tree out at Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest in Claremont, Kentucky. From 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., you can celebrate Arbor Day and the love of trees with Bernheim. Join us on Saturday or Sunday for the annual Arbor Day Adopt a Tree. Come out and choose a tree to plant in your landscape to enjoy for years to come. Speak with knowledgeable horticulturalists about proper planting techniques and tree care. Help us increase the canopy of our surrounding community and celebrate Celebrate the coming of a new spring. Suggested donation is $1 per tree, and more information is at bernheim.org. And finally, on Sunday, April 11th, from 2 to 4 p.m., it's Spring Foraging at Lots of Food, a workshop available at 1647 Portland Avenue. There's already delicious salad to be had right outside your door if you know where to look. The Spring Foraging Workshops feature spring plants, flowers, berries, roots, and even mushrooms that you can find right here in the city. Uh, Amanda Fuller from Lots of Food will focus on the easiest and tastiest goodies. You may be surprised at what's in your own neighborhood. All participants will get a handout and in-person foragers will take home some samples to enjoy and share. There's a limited number of in-person tickets for $25 and additional virtual tickets at $20. Masks are required. The event is outdoors and there will be physical distancing. You can reserve your ticket at louisvillelotsoffood.com. Again, the Spring Foraging Workshop is Sunday the 11th from 2 to 4 p.m., at Lots of Food, and you can get tickets and information at louisvillelotsoffood.com. And that is all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I thank you so much for tuning in, and I really want to thank everyone who has supported our pledge drive, uh, especially for sus during Sustainability Now this week and last week. We are just over a third of our way to our goal, and we really hope you can chip in at forwardradio.org and help push us towards our $5,000 goal to help keep Keep us on the air for a fifth year here at 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. So thanks again for donating, everyone, and thank you for listening. I'll be back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Be well.